All right, and we are live. Just give me one second to get back to the screen. Um, for those of you who do not know, my name is Anthony North. This is uh, the podcast that I run. Well, the video cast here, actually. Uh, Viking Fuel. Today on the show, I have uh, Todd from Ancient Fire. Uh, I've been actually really excited to talk with you for a while. I've seen some good uh, meads coming out of you guys, and I've been really excited to see how you guys are already starting to grow i've definitely been keeping a good eye on you so uh how have you guys been doing doing all right yeah we don't we don't uh, we don't try to hide so if you if you if you follow us on social media yeah you'll you'll see we're a, we're definitely a pretty active place and we're a little over two years old so there's been you know a big ramp up in in you know trying to get our name out there that said we our, our focus is very local to us um, mm. it, on the advice of many of our friends that got into this business, you know, a few years before us, they said, you know, you're going to do yourself a huge favor to have a great local following and work on that before you go anywhere else. And after two years, we still have so much to do here locally that our aspirations beyond New Hampshire, I, I don't actually have a good answer for that. Sometimes people ask me, I'm like, I got no idea. It's not <laughs> what I'm really worried about. I mean, I still want to drag people to our tap room, even though we haven't reopened for dine-in yet, which we can talk about a little bit later. So, but things have been going well. It's, it's not, this sucks for everybody we right no and I, I i get that uh i have heard a lot of the horror stories of the people that were strictly online and their businesses ended up closing because they didn't have a good local business and i do think that starting local is a great idea so uh one of the questions i love to ask people just because it always makes for an interesting story is uh how did you first get into making me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm about to give you an answer that's probably going to be different than all the other ones you've gotten. I had cancer. Wow. That's so that's a yeah, bomb drop. <laughs> not what you expected, was it? So, no, not at all. <laughs> so let me clarify that because it is it is an awesome story and it's one that's at the heart of what we do and it is one that we love to tell and mm. um I'll I'll start it with this is one of those stories where you definitely understand the idea of taking a challenge or adversity and turning it into something really awesome. And I will say that my diagnosis was good enough um, that that was very much a possibility from, from early on, but it was still a situation where I was 29 years old and getting diagnosed with cancer. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Wow. Uh, and from there, you know, I, I had a little bit of treatment, a few months, you know, to kind of get back to a, you know, a normal life and you know my my wife asked me she's like well you know what do you want to do all you did was work all the time before this there's probably a good opportunity to stop and smell the roses or whatever other you know beautiful flowers are along the way and i blurted out i wanted to learn how to homebrew and we still don't know how, why i have no idea why <laughs> it wasn't something i had really thought about or talked about you know that much i had a few friends that had dabbled with it their beers were okay but i was like ah, you know this whole micro brew thing you know in the late 90s and early 2000s you know, post-college, you know, like this seems like this is really going somewhere. I, it, it's at least fun as a consumer. Mm -hmm. So in late 2003, I got all the equipment and started brewing some beer. And in 2004 and 2005, I started fermenting a little bit of everything. So I live in Londonderry, New Hampshire, which is in the southern part of New Hampshire. It's a New Hampshire's a very rural state. The southern part is definitely more suburban because we're only about 45 miles north of Boston. So mm -hmm. when we but I still live in an area where there's lots of old farms, tons of apple farms. So we're making hard cider, you know, we're making fruit wine, you know, beer. And then I started using honey in fruit wine because mm. a lot of fruit wine recipes need other sugar. And you know what? White table sugar is good, but it's prison wine. I mean, it, 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 it yeah, yeah, no, create alcohol. That's it. 
yeah. Um, so, so honey's better, and that's where that's where I, was, I got curious. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Uh, I will say, as far as your cancer goes, congratulations on beating the odds. Uh, I haven't really talked about this too much on the show before, but uh, my grandfather, who I live with, he actually uh, has uh, in incredibly rare type of uh, lung cancer and uh my brother and i we are currently in the process of taking care of him part of the reason we're moving to oregon is to get him closer to the rest of uh our family and uh basically build that support group around him as well as uh get the business for me and my brother up and going so uh that's awesome i'm glad that you're taking care of a family member who's having a tough go with cancer it's it's this is i've learned so much on my journey we did a lot of the american cancer society early on something that we have um and i'll come back to that with one of your other questions as well so i'm glad to meet somebody else who who has whose life has been impacted by a cancer experience but positively because mm. it's a story i want people to understand it, it not to not to take away from the fact that we lose people every day to something that we really, you know, if we work harder, we can probably fix. But we have to see that because we have to live with it, we have to be able to see where are the positive stories. And every day I wake up knowing that somebody might be helped by learning what, how I took what happened to me and turn it into what I so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the cancer that grandpa has is actually a spindle cell carcinoma. It's incredibly rare. Uh, there aren't any real cures for it, so to speak, but we did a test of uh, a medication that normally works for brain cancer, and it actually slowed the growth of the tumor in his lung, which, I mean, that alone beat the odds right there, which we were incredibly happy about. And, and that's cancer's an odd beast, so there's a lot of those interesting stories where you find out things about it mm. and ways to treat it that are just seem so non-obvious but yet mm. you know breakthrough so well I, I, we we always hope the best for absolutely everybody that we ever meet that has a cancer story so i hope your grandfather continues to uh to live an enjoyable life oh i'm sure he will he's got plenty going on in the future for him uh so the next question i'm sure is just an odd as an, an answer is how did it end up going to become a business for you um, that took a while for sure. So we, we, my wife and I started, you know, homebrewing in 2003. Um, you know, she got involved early on a year or two later, she wanted to learn how to do stuff. So she was learning how to make beer and she got involved in the other process. And she's obviously my, my, you know, business partner and co-pilot on this journey. Mm. Um, but for the longest time we were telling people, no, 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 this is just a hobby. You know, we started maybe like 2010, 2011, we started hearing a lot of people say that to us. Hey, this stuff is really good. You ever thought about doing it as a business? And I'm like, no, no, it's great. I'm a software mm -hmm. engineer. I make good money. I can pay for a hobby. You know, this is awesome. In 2016, and at that point, I'm thinking, all right, it's 2016. I've been working as a software engineer for 20 plus years. I started thinking, you know what? I really feel like I want to do something different. <laughs> this is, I've had enough of this. This is not really that awesome anymore. Um, you know, the, the tech world's always changing. So it wasn't changing any mm. specific way then, but it was just changing in ways that, you know, as I was getting older, I wasn't necessarily as, as interested in changing with it. And, you know, so I, I did a couple of things. One, I started finding leadership roles there where I could I could help other people, specifically younger, you know, less experienced engineers get the opportunities that I had mm. and, and work in a way where I could use that experience to help us be successful, but wouldn't necessarily have to, you know, learn every damn new technology that came along, you know, six days before anybody want you to, wanted you to use it for something. So 
we, you know, obviously at that point you look around going, well, we have this hobby that's been really successful. <laughs> uh, so we started business planning in 2016 and, and initially we agreed, let's, let's explore the idea for a little while. Let's see what we want to do. Uh, you know, later that year we said, hey, you know, this actually seems like that's his legs. So start, let's start looking for some property and, and you know, let's looking for a space to move into. And from there, it just kind of went ahead as this is what's going to happen next. Mm. And this has been my full time job since 2017. So I, I effectively thank you. Yep, retired <laughs> from IT about 25 years after I started and, and jumped right into this. And, you know, so for something that was never intended, it's been very exciting to do this. It's definitely a very challenging business to be in. And oh, yeah, we have yeah. so many people only do it if you really, really, really want to work harder than you've ever worked before, because that's what's going to end up happening. And if that's what you want, great. It's <laughs> I love a challenge, but some weeks, uh, yeah, I could, you know, what the hell did I do to myself? Why did I do this? You know? <laughs> It's a head check because I don't really mean it, but it's just one of those things where you gotta, you know, you gotta be humble. Like, yeah, I got myself into something that I'm almost over my head every every day. Right. Yeah, good for um, me. I'm, I'm real smart. <laughs> I do well, love it. What's funny is uh, for me going from the homebrew level to the business level myself, uh, it wasn't my idea. I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, I kept hearing from friends, you shouldn't sell this and stuff like that, and then. My brother, who honestly, my brother's the one putting a lot of money down for the business. Uh, he just looked at me one one day and goes, "Let's do it. Let's make it a business." I mean, and once he said that, and I had somebody else like that I love and really care about saying, "Hey, I want to be involved. Let's get the ball rolling on this." That's kind of the push that led me to uh, decide to do it. Now, granted. I've done audio visual for a long time, which I love doing, but this is a bigger passion than working with music for me. Uh, my next question for you, this one is a toughie for a lot of people for good reason, uh, but the answer is always interesting. So out of all the means that you've tried, excluding your own, what would you say has left a lasting impression for you? So I read this question and I knew exactly why it was a tough one. So mm -hmm. the, answer that I, the answer that I have was sort of uh, inspired at the moment to think about some different meets that I've had before and and just highlight an example of one and the reason. And then I, I think you'll see where, I, where I'm going with it. Mm. So uh, Nec Necro Mango Con from V Nectar. Hmm. So it's a fairly niche one. I don't know maybe one or two other people that have actually had it because we don't get a lot of their product local to us. Um, it's a mango and black pepper session meat. So it's 6% alcohol. It's got great mango flavor. And then you have this really interesting, like cool, spicy earthiness from crushed black pepper. And hmm. it just struck me as what an awesome combination that they go together so well and they drink together so amazingly. The reason I highlight this, it, it's, a, it's an example of something that is super drinkable, mm -hmm. but doesn't necessarily have a composition to it that is, is gonna like immediately draw, you know, eyeballs going, oh my God, that's the next great thing. And the reason I say this is, is that I did a lot of study in the wine world before mm -hmm. I, I started um, homebrewing and then you know afterwards as well because i was i was making a fair bit of homemade wine up until like 2012 and what i learned is is that you know there's a, there's a this weird idea that we want to celebrate beverages out there and in the wine world 
there's it's littered with examples of high-end wines that people talk about at the end of the day you find out pretty quickly there's not a lot of that to go around so it right. doesn't really move the dial for most people who consume wine and it's table wine it's those wines that are made you know in certain regions of italy that are made for consumption locally and and that local sphere might be fairly large but it still might be one of those things they don't import i mean they don't export a lot of it because you know the, the people there there drink it and and it reminds you that that a lot of times the best beverages are the ones that are a great pairing with people places and events it, it, the beverage in itself, you know, doesn't necessarily have to have an over-the-top composition. It doesn't have to be an Opus One or a Rothschild Merlot, or it, it doesn't have to be that. But it also doesn't come with a four-thousand-dollar bottle price either. It, you know, <laughs> it, it comes with a reasonable price, and then you take it to where you're going to hang out or eat or spend time with people. And if it drinks well and it it fuels the excitement and the fun of that moment. It should get as much hype as anything else. And it just, I, I remind myself about this all the time because that's why we create things. We don't, mm. we're not looking for someone to covet it. We're looking for someone to enjoy it. If they also covet it, well, that, you know, that's a great win for us and, and we'll accept those. And we have some things that we've made that, that have rabid fandom around them. And in some cases, oddly so, because they're the simplest of composition, mm. but that drinkability just leads people to want it. And... Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's definitely something uh, for myself uh, when I make mead. It's one of the things I really look for. Uh, I'm very different from a lot of other mead makers where I use a lot of ale yeast instead of using wine. Um, I noticed it tends to fit my recipes a lot better by doing it that way. Um, I also like to break a lot of rules in general, but when I say break rules, it's rules I know I can break after experience or uh, experimenting enough to know what I can and can't get away with. I will say for anyone new just trying to jump in, don't do that. <laughs> it's a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna waste a lot of mead by doing that. Uh, Money's I'm, expensive. It's it's a it's very, a horrible it's, <laughs> it's very expensive. I have had to cut pour one or two bottles down the drain. Not fun always hurts uh but for me that experimental exploration was a huge part of me becoming a mean maker because i i had to do things the hard way it's just who i am <laughs> so and i think that that's one of the opportunities in mead right now a lot of people say well mead i don't really know what you're doing there i don't really know what to expect and i say well that's awesome because then i'm going to throw anything i want at you yeah. and you're just going to accept it because you don't know any different mm -hmm. and they kind of looked at me kind of weird like well how does that work aren't there rules for mead and i'm like yeah there are but you don't know them because <laughs> they're, they're not that well publicized so let's not worry about that here try this here try that and people are like oh this is mead i'm like yeah it's fermented honey and it has fruit and spices in it and they're like but that so that's all it is i'm like yeah you know if, if you really enjoy it that's all it has to be it doesn't have to be anything else and we found that is a great way to help people understand it in our own mm. tap just because they, they come with with very little expectations and, and for some people that can be scary and dangerous. And we just look at it going, well, as long as you know, you're not allergic to an ingredient in something, try it and, and see what you think. And then some people are like, wow, I guess I didn't realize it could be all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's so awesome about it is it can be anything. 
Mm. And if we don't have rules and, and dogma that we have to worry about in a lot of cases, then we can really just get to the enjoyment of lots of different interpretations of it, which, you know, people do find very exciting. Yeah. And I mean, trying something new has always kind of been fun for me as well. And I mean, even with my own meat, there's times where I catch myself off guard <laughs> as I'm tis tasting it. I was like, I did not expect it to taste like that, but it's actually better, <laughs> you know? Uh, my next question, this one also is a little bit difficult, especially as person brewing. Uh, it's uh, basically, uh, what is currently the favorite mead that you have on the tap room? Now, as a mead maker, I know normally it's the next one you're about to make, <laughs> but I, I'm always curious to see what people have on tap and what they really enjoy right now from their own um, stuff that they're making. Absolutely. And this one's going to be a simple one. So it's called Making a Difference mm. and it's made with uh, local wildflower honey. So this, we've made it three times. The first two were honey from Massachusetts. Uh, so not that far from us to the South. And then this time we've got a new uh, New Hampshire based beekeeper that we're working with, with summer honey. And we make a session style. So it's 7% ABV, served cold, light carbonation, and just the wildflower honey. So you've got a very light, um, this honey is, I think some milkweed, um, ultimately some some feedback from the, the beekeeper that milkweed and he feels like it, it gives us this really interesting texture. And, and I would agree with him because it, this batch of it is way better than everything else. And it, it just has that that elegance and that lightness to it that the lo that spring wildflower honey will have in, in, in New Hampshire. And then it, it was returned to our tap list just a few weeks back. And it's called Making a Difference because we originally made it to help us with our nonprofit missions. So we still do a lot of stuff with the American Cancer Society, uh, our local food bank, um, and a whole host of other um, uh, nonprofits. Actually, we were doing weekly nonprofit donations since we started doing takeout in March. Mm. So we've donated, I think, almost $3,000 since March to a variety of causes. And it's so I just I love it. It drinks nice and smooth and clean. It's got all the nuance of, of every distinct flower in there that the you know the bees have been pollinating here in New Hampshire. And it's a great example of of fermented honey in a straightforward form that's just super enjoyable, but it's no slouch on character. You could sit there and study it all day, going, wow, there's so much going on here. And then you're like, yeah, but it's it, there's no other ingredients and it's seven percent alcohol and and you, you could forget all of that nuance after you studied it and just sit there and crush a glass of it. I mean, and I just, I like it for that reason because it, it has all of the things that you love about me, but it also has that I can just sit here and drink this and it's not, it's not demanding. I give it a ton of attention, but when I do, I'm, I'm rewarded because it is very interesting. Um, what I really love about that though, isn't so much talking about the mead it really isn't it's more talking about that nonprofit that uh you guys are working with because i think that's a beautiful story i really do and uh actually for me because i'm a veteran i actually take a lot of time to look at uh the veteran suicide numbers which a lot of people don't know this but 22 veterans a day commit suicide and uh i've done a lot of work with nonprofits in the past to help lower those numbers but as we're looking to open up our doors, we're looking to build up something for uh, helping with nonprofits that help reduce those numbers as well. So it's kind of nice to see that meteries are still doing a lot to help their communities, especially because, you know, they're that local business that's still going to need help too, you know? 
Right. Absolutely. And that's what we thought. The moment this all fell apart, mm -hmm. you know, and had to go to takeout only, I said to, to Margo, I'm like, we have got to figure out how to, to target uh, a percentage of our sales right off at of the top every week to different local nonprofits. We know that they're immediately going to get hit because people are going to be stingy with their cash because they're not sure about their job and, and what's going to happen. And, you know, we we should take the risk and, and take money out of our own pocket to do this just so we can provide people an example that, look, we're, you're helping us take care of our community. There are people that need help here, um, you know, doubly so because of all of this. So here's what we can do. And we had a great response, you know, to it. My advice for you integrating in your business one very simple thing mm. just ask ask your patrons to go on that journey with you this is what we're about this is who we want to help this is how you can do it come in and buy a pint mm -hmm. a donation this week for every pint of something we sell or every pint we sell is going to go there and just ask them they will rally to that in a way that you would never imagine and if you're ever looking to do something that feels good but also has that you know i've done good outcome for it this was it for us and and we've had people tell us just don't stop doing that tell us how we can help like tell us who you're supporting who you know who these these donations are supporting and and we'll be there right with you mm -hmm. and we didn't know that until we started it we, we had no idea how easy that was going to be like will people get on board with this or will they look at us like we'll just serve us drinks that's what we come here for and it was the opposite they, they were looking for a community and mm -hmm. they wanted one who had a purpose that wasn't just the reason we all got to know each other we're like what else can we do so i know you guys can do that because we've done it and we found it was that simple you know and, and people mm. love a good story and if you make it who you are part of who you are asking almost sometimes people are like we well, don't have to ask you know we'll do it and it's like <laughs> we got to ask you because we got to give you context about why we're asking for your help like it what, makes what it makes me feel better <laughs> right yeah absolutely you know, it's, it's, you know and again you're telling your story and every right. time you're you're trying to make it real and personal and, mm -hmm. and super approachable for people. You know, and, and sometimes people are like, hey, that's me. That's me. I'm a veteran too. Like, I care about that. Holy crap. Like, yeah. So all I got to do is go and buy a growler this weekend and I can support that cause. Then you'll have people lining up. Mm -hmm. And, that, know, and that's, I mean, and don't good. get me wrong. It, I mean, making the money is a great thing. But really, at the end of the day, for me, it's not so much using the veteran aspect to sell the bottles. It's more... I'm doing that because I want to give back to my veteran brothers and sisters in arms, yep. you know, and, and, and it, makes, it makes you different than everybody else. And, right. and we all have to do that in our business. Mm -hmm. You can do it with your products, but you can also do it with your mission too. And that ends up getting you mileage oh, yeah. in that good way, the, mm -hmm. the way you want it to, like, you're not using it as a tool. You're, you're, you're helping connect people with good that they can do with you. Oh yeah. And, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the fact that you guys are already doing that is beautiful. And I mean, it's definitely something I'm going to strive to push for myself. So, Well, let us know when you do, because we'll make sure our community comes and helps too. Oh, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, I, uh, my next question for you uh, is, this is kind of the bread and butter for this for me, uh, because I feel it's good to get those people that have been out there and done it for a while to talk with the new guy who's still is trying to figure out what to do just at the homebrew level. Uh, so if you had just one piece of advice uh, to uh, give to that person that's just starting making mead, what would it be? And do not use cop out 
answer of sanitized, please. I want a genuine answer here. <laughs> no, I, I include that in my articles that I write and, and my education, like training guides or stuff like that. So that, that gets enough play. Mm -hmm. um, set realistic expectations. I, I, I do this by nature. When I've participated online in various meet groups on Facebook, you know, I was a moderator of, of at least one of them in the past. The thing that always, you know, when I was, I was often sad for people when I saw it is someone explains the project that they executed and where they got to and hey, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the wrong is, well, not objectively, but subjectively, how did you, where, where did you think what you did was going to go? And you find that people believed that it was going to go in one direction and it naturally was going to go in another. And they, they, so they've decoupled the expectations from reality and they're trying to figure out how do I get my expectation to come back into view? And it's like, yeah, you might not be able to at this point. Mm. Now, unfortunately that does take experience. Setting realistic expectations means you've got to know some things, which means you may have to make some mistakes, but you also, you shouldn't jump into any project without at least a couple goals. I mean, if the goal is to create something fun and drinkable, great, but most home mead makers tend to want to learn how to do something new, integrate a new ingredient, mm. you, know, you know, take on a new process or something like that. And when you're going to do that, set realistic expectations about what's going to happen. I mean, I came back from a conference, a winemaking conference in 2010 with all kinds of crazy ideas about things I was going to change about my, my, my winemaking. And believe it or not, by the end of that year, I was horribly disappointed at what had happened because I didn't know enough about what I was changing to really understand that it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily going to get the feedback from it that I was, that I was expecting, which was my wines were going to be so much more awesome than they were before. Right. I went the way I made wines previous to that. And I immediately started feeling better about the outcome. So it's just a good example of it, it you know, meat is, is honey, water, yeast, but there's a, so much more to it. And if you don't know what to expect, you might more, might often be disappointed at a result and you don't want to lose the passion about the hobby because mm. you can't screw together what to expect in the outcome as well because you might get mad going oh, this just this sucks like I, this doesn't work the way i want it to and right like, yeah and that's sometimes you got to fix the expectation because the process is going to just be what it is so that covers a huge range of things it's not super specific but it it covers every instance where you're going to do something or change something or start a new product project and you just want to really make sure that you're realistic about what you want to get out of it so that you leave yourself some upside um, that if it works out well like oh my god this was way better than i thought awesome um i would kind of add on to your dovetail a little bit and say with re with setting realistic expectations also set realistic limitations on what you're trying to do and the reason I'm saying that is I've done that weird crazy mead where I'm trying to throw everything into a bucket that I possibly can and it doesn't work because I try to overcomplicate it. Um, a lot of times I've, I've learned this from experience and the hard way myself. It's easier to go back and just do something a little bit more simple than worry about trying to make it this big, huge, complex project that you think it's going to be the best tasting thing in the world and really because you threw everything including the kitchen sink in there it ends up becoming not what you wanted and you just spent all this money on ingredients just to have your heart broken because it doesn't meet what you wanted it to be 
And that doesn't reinforce excitement for a hobby when that happens. And that's why I tell people, you know, learn to do some simple things, have some straightforward projects on the calendar, and then spice in some more complicated ones so that when something doesn't necessarily go right, you have plenty of bottles or kegs of something to go have a drink of while you're trying to figure out what do I do next? How do I fix this? Or how do I approach this project again in the future? And that way you just don't feel like you just perpetually are losing your hobby for the failing of, of, of reaching too far before you you have all of the pieces in place. And mm. and it it's hard because people are like, well, give me some examples. And I'm like, almost any project could be an example of that depending on your experience. Right. Uh, I know that you've got a little bit of a timeline, so I'm gonna be- I've got, I've got 10 minutes, so we should I be able to- I can work with that. <laughs> all right, uh, so uh, my uh, next question is uh, really a simple one, I would say. Uh, is, does your meadery currently ship? And if so, is there a website that they, uh, people would be able to order from? Yep, so we definitely do. Uh, your order looks like it's arriving on Monday, by the way. Um, UPS finally gave us an update on that. Um, so you can go to ancientfirewines.com and there is a link in there for the ship to you store. So we uh, we use Vino Shippers, so very popular in the mead industry, uh, broadly in the wine industry as well, but definitely a lot of mead makers using it. Uh, that gives us access to 37 states. Um, so you can place an order in the store and then we get that order. Uh, we do all the packing and shipping from our facility here. Um, and then as I said, use UPS for shipping so that can get you access to those 37 states. Um, there's some other states that we're gonna be working on that we have to submit like separate paperwork before they'll give us uh, an authorization to ship in. And then we'll be working on later this year as we've kind of gotten clear with some other things. And that business is something that has grown a little bit this year. So we're excited to see more of that as people realize that coming and visiting us isn't necessarily something you're gonna be as, able to do as easily as they did before. And they still wanna enjoy what we do. So, and we love questions, you know, people hit us up on Facebook or send us an email and you know and ask us do you make this kind of thing or which one of these is most like or and you know and help kind of them curate a, a, a list they'd like to order so um, yeah so definitely uh, hit us up at ancientfirewines.com uh, I will say personally with you mentioned my order and because of that I will say I really am excited to try that coffee mail out I love a good coffee mail I actually uh, make one myself using uh, death wish coffee uh, but I used to yep. I use the uh, Valhalla Java blend. And uh, from there, I personally like to add a little bit of lactic acid because it creates a nice creamy texture. Uh, the coffee melt almost comes out similar to a white Russian doing it that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I could see how that would work. Cause lact lactic acid's almost got a little bit of um, like a mapley buttery, you know, at yeah. concentrations. Yeah, which is very interesting. Uh, so, uh, my last question before I get into something that's a little bit more serious talking about the current events would be, uh, what would you say is probably the hardest mead that you have ever made? People have heard so, my horror story already, so I'm not going to bother with it this time. <laughs> so I was thinking about that in a commercial context. And yeah, we, we've had some interesting challenges in a couple of years commercially. But honestly, my biggest challenges were certainly homebrew before that, which I think a lot of people would see some sense in is that's where we did most of our experimentation. That was the last year or so before that, a lot of, of, of pilot type projects, you know, stepping up to 20 and 30 gallon batches off of those five and six gallons just to kind of have the experience of scaling up. We did have some interesting challenges in our new space and, um, you know, growing in size because when we first moved in here, um, 
and got permitted. We started making stuff at the end of January in 2018. You know, we're making 200 gallon tanks of mead. That was the biggest batch of stuff I had ever made before. Mm-hmm. And we're working in a new space. It's the end of January. It's cold as all get out here. The concrete floor is freezing. And we did have some challenges getting and keeping batches going in that space is trying to figure out okay where do we put them in the room how do we keep them warm how do we get them up off the floor because the the floor was sinking heat out of our space like crazy Mm. you know we had those challenges but those were more very mechanical like so in you know in the homebrew space a lot of different types of things we worked on an orange and vanilla recipe for a number of years it wasn't challenging so much as we just we were looking for that last mile of of I want it to be just this much more orange or a little bit more vanilla or a little bit less of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was one that we worked on. Um, a number of times, trying braggots. I can't commercially make them, but I was curious about them because I was a brewer before I was a mead maker. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time making those. I'll be honest, I never merely made any that I thought were really that great, but I took that experience and in 2018 and 2019, we did six collaborations with local breweries where we made braggots with them. Mm. And that worked out great because it allowed us to collaborate on a product that was relatively new to the marketplace that caught beer drinkers attention, but then had the fun story of, hey, it has honey in it, by the way. And, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'm all about honey, guys. And, you know, (laughs) it, it was a great way for us to evangelize in some cases before we open with friends of ours that are brewers by releasing a product with them that honey was one of the key the key mm. functions. We've most recently had a couple of batches just randomly stop fermenting at like 10 or 11% and nothing we did could go forward with them. And I still have a big question mark as to why. Same honey, everything else about them was different. So I have that same honey hang up thinking maybe that lot of honey had something weird in it that ultimately and you know inhibited the yeast but i'm still not really sure but so that's sort of a, a simple survey of, of of some challenges that we've had um being at it as long as we have have some of the the most frustrating projects i'll be totally honest i've already forgotten them <laughs> uh, almost 20 years so in some cases some of them i don't I, i'd have to go back and look at notes and see a scrawled you know oh my god this totally sucked what the hell happened and then i'd be like oh yeah i remember that <laughs> one of those things where you're flipping through your notebook and you see where you pretty much just blacked out the entire page because of how right. mad you were. Okay, this month, there must be a story here that I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, So my last question for you before I let you go, uh, this one's a little bit of a hard question to answer right now, but uh, granted with everything going on in the world right now, uh, the issues with COVID-19 and everything else, it's hitting small businesses pretty hard. And uh, I would just like to ask um, how how things been working for you, what's been working and what hasn't been working. Just this is my way of trying to kind of help other meter uh, meteries try and bounce ideas off each other to keep each other going, you know. And I appreciate the question and it's a totally fair question. And, and we'll and I'll share honestly, because we are in the middle of it and and us too, we're working with our friends in the local community here that are mostly brewers, a few, you know, a few wineries as well, as well as some industry peers, just to understand like what, what is everyone experiencing? Mm. So the biggest challenge is, is that we've seen shifts in our business. So March 15th, that week, we were told as of Wednesday that week, everybody was going to be takeout in our industry, curbside, otherwise, whatever you needed to do. 
we knew that was going to be happening only because you could kind of see the writing on the wall from the week before. Like you look at places like California and New York and you're like, all right, yeah, New Hampshire, it's kind of out of the way, but you know, they're going that way because they're not sure what they're up against and, and they want to, they want to get us all on board of participating with it. So believe it or not, the week before we had already started doing a ton of disinfecting between patron visits because we were really concerned. I mean, honestly, we had no idea what we were up against, but like, it seems like these things could help. We started our takeout on the Friday before. We had six or eight takeout orders that people had done that weekend. Mm -hmm. People already said to us, oh, this is going to be awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing this. You know, it's really scary out there. And then, of course, the very next week, that was the only option they had. So, you know, it was nice to get on it. And takeout was about 40% of our business previously. So this would be any to-go stuff, you know, mm -hmm. whether you sat here and had a drink or came in and just grabbed something to go. So immediately you're thinking, wow, if all we're getting is 40%, boy, that's really gonna suck. Right. Well, what was really interesting about it, it was takeout covered almost 100% of our month over month bills for two straight months. And we had no idea why. Yeah, I mean, we have put out dozens of thank you posts on Facebook and thanked patrons in person. Mm. Like, thank you guys so much for doing this. This is, you know, those first few weeks, my wife and I are looking at each other like, what in the world is going on? You know, mm. but because people didn't have any options and they still believed in us and, and wanted to support us knowing that we were taking, would otherwise take a hit, you know, it, it, it definitely happened. And for eight weeks, it was, it was awesome. The last four weeks or so, Things have started to slide. Um, last weekend was pretty bad. This weekend setting up to be potentially even slower, but we're up against the fact that towards the end of last month, outdoor seating could open up here in New Hampshire. And just a couple weeks ago, indoor seating could. Mm -hmm. We waited for the indoor seating one because we really need a combination of both in order to make a good go at this. So we wanted to wait for both. So we're actually reopening on July 9th. And I am actually taking a week off from production work next week. I mean, I haven't had something like this since Christmas 2018. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's been a long time since I've had that many days where I'll be here to work takeout and we'll be getting ready for reopening. But I'm not going to be, you know, sweating my ass off out back, you know, dealing with moving stuff between tanks and making batches and everything just so I can kind of clear my head, get all of that stuff in place, you know, for, for, you know, reopening. But, you know, as you can see with what I just said, it immediately changed to one thing and eight, 10 weeks later, now it's changed to something else. We've got to get back to having people come in and visit us because we're mm -hmm. bleeding at this point based on where we're at. So we've had to take a look, okay, well, what else can we do? We have a club. We've opted not to grow the club for this quarter just because we needed some some time to do some other things. But wholesale was weak for us. We didn't have a lot of bottle shops. So in early March, you know, we 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 were seeing people come and see us and that was paying the bills. By later March, people are hitting us up going, yeah, you guys are 30 minutes from me. Like what's the closest place I can get something? And the closest place wasn't any closer for them. So in some cases we weren't making sales because we weren't convenient for people. So in the last two weeks, we've been out doing selling and we have eight new bottle shop accounts. So that helps us because God forbid we have to shut down again, but let's just all assume that this is gonna be an adventure, so don't count it out. Right. I feel better because we have more places to tell people, hey, yeah, you you know, it's at your local market, that's six miles from you. You know, they have four varieties, you can go in and, and, and get it there. That will give us a little bit more insurance that we've got a pipeline for people to get products conveniently near home. 
And I'm still okay with delivering to places. Like, you know, I'm masking up when I'm going in delivering an existing account. It's usually drop a couple boxes, get a signature on invoice and get out of the building. So we can, we can sustain more of our business that way. So we've had to look at, you know, what, what do we do mm-hmm. weeks? We don't know how many people are going to come see us for dine in. We right. actually asked last night, we, we announced reopening and didn't get much of a response. And we're like, Oh God, what does that mean? So we asked, we said, Hey guys, you know, we, we announced this and we took a step back and we realized our announcement sucks. We got all these new rules. It's not going to be the same as it was before. Not a lot to celebrate there. And it made us realize we didn't ask you guys, what do you want? What do you want? What should we be doing? And the answers were wonderful. And it's, they want a little bit of everything that we're doing. People far away want to be able to order it online. People that are fairly close, but are scared about the spread of coronavirus want to be able to place an online takeout order. They want to do it curbside. Mm. They don't want to sit in person with us just yet. And and again, they have to make that decision for their family and we're, we're okay with that. But we needed to know that, that, that they were still interested in that because it felt like that's we're not seeing a lot of that in the last couple of weeks. So we want to make sure that that's not going to dry up on us. And then we had some people that said, absolutely, we're, we're looking to come and see you guys. And a couple of people said, we want to do that, but you know what would really make us comfortable? Can you show us what the seating is going to look like? So next week we got to set everything up and take pictures and post them. So that would be my message to anybody else in our industry as well. Make sure you're asking your patrons or your fans, like what to, what can they expect from you? And and what do they want if, you, if you're not saying it? Because you might not be saying something that they want and it might be something you're able to do. You just didn't think of it. Right. And, making them feel comfortable that whichever way you integrate with your brand is going to fit their needs. That was always our business that we were in, but now we have this virus that's making that so much trickier and it absolutely makes sense. Don't assume, just ask. And I feel so much better today about what reopening means because we saw an example of all the different things we plan on being able to offer. And somebody said that that was the one for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, then that means we're going to have to collect all of that together to make our business what it was before. And it's and it's different. We're, we're more takeout, more shipped orders, less dine in. That's the opposite of where we were in March. Mm-hmm. And you look at it going, wow, that how quickly that changes. Yeah. So, and, and it's it's luck, it's luck and skill combined. Like we don't have all the answers, so some of it is just we got to lock ourselves into, okay, that seems like the right way to do it. Let's do that. And then it works out great or not. Mm. And I mean, uh, just kind of speaking on a business standpoint here, there's times where your business will have great profit and then out of nowhere, it just drops and you've got to figure out how to bring yourself back up. And And you've got to not freak out as a business owner. Yeah. (laughs) My Uh, wife says to me all the time, she goes, you're the reason you're the driver behind this is you won't freak out. She goes, I'll freak out about all this stuff. And then, then I just lose my perspective and don't know what to do. She goes, you don't freak out. You're already like, oh, I'm solving this problem. I just need some time. It's like, yeah, but that's, but that's why I got into this. Cause I knew that Mm. that would happen. And that was how people observed me in my prior career. I was a, I was a troubleshooter and a problem solver. So Mm. and this is natural. It's just business problems. I don't know how to solve because I don't have experience with them. So they're a little challenging on a personal level yeah um honestly with me and my brother we've kind of made our business plan set up to where we're not going to be profitable for two years we don't expect to be profitable for two years granted if we end up profitable and literally pretty much paying our business off in that time frame great 
but we've already planned for the worst and we're hoping for the best, you know? And I think that's for us the best mindset to have because it makes it to where if we have those really rough months, uh, then it's okay. It's part of the business plan. We've already thought about that. Yep. So, so we, we did a break even analysis when we first did our business plan. Mm -hmm. We estimated 11, 12 months, we would be at break even for, you know, your regular expenses we did. We actually, we actually hit that. Now Great. we've taken additional expenses. We've hired staff. We've mm -hmm. got a team of 11 of us, including my wife and I, um, they're all part-time and they work in different capacities. We've got a couple of production assistants. We've got a sellerman and then mostly a bunch of front of the house, you know, taproom staff as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we took that on, rented a new warehouse in the next building. So of course you got to re, you know, re up on that analysis. And if it COVID hadn't hit, I would probably be telling you that we had kind of gotten back to break even again on a month over month basis. So then we could start doing some growing and, and mm -hmm. seeing you know, some net positive, you know, outcome from that. I think we're probably still going to end up being able to say that in 2020, believe it or not. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's a cloudy, you know, scenario. And I think the calculation can be done a couple different ways now um, because of everything that's happened. And one way looks good, but one way doesn't look so good. And it's like, okay, which one do you believe? And, you know, again, like I said, I have no idea because I've never run a business during a pandemic before. I mean, this is my first go with it. So I'm going to know really well after this is over, but that doesn't help me now. So. Right. And I think honestly, I mean, it's, kind of scary for everybody regardless and i i think again uh everyone's just kind of got to work together to find a solution that works uh for us so um, and, 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 we, and we did some other things too so i historically um i i had also kind of played um in the space as a food and beverage blogger for a while between like 2008 and 2013 i was writing a blog and i'd been nominated for a couple of blogger awards at certain points for it it was it was really an extension of what i was doing which share the adventure that morphed into actually writing articles for some industry publications so winemaker and brew your own magazines they're um, owned and published by the same company they also do a couple of annual conferences that i've been a speaker at as well um, I just got my first article published in Zimmergy Magazine. Uh, the last issue it was actually the meat issue. I had the feature article, which they didn't tell me about until after it was published, which was a very nice surprise. I, and I uh, got, have oh, that magazine sitting on the table right now, actually. <laughs> I love the fact that that article is just one article of several in that magazine about mead and mm. celebrating it. it. To me, it was the best example of the current state of you know the homebrew and the industry around it trying to show people hey everybody this isn't just something you're hearing about on the internet like this is really happening people are really making lots of meat and and it's you know it's it's at least as exciting of everything else that, that's been going on out there mm -hmm. so i've got another article in the hopper with zimmergy another one that i'm finishing up um for for winemaker magazine and then next week i'm just railing ahead and starting on another one for both brew your own and winemaker magazines I love doing this. Sharing is definitely something that I've done. I've, you know, I've worked as a speaker and an educator in this business, you know, for over a decade. But I also saw it as I'm speaking to a community who are naturally interested in what we do. So yes, the possibility that we might see new customers because of this is out there. So I write the articles for homebrewers because their magazines designed for that. And I give them insight into what we do, scaled down recipes of stuff we make. I'm not hiding that from you. You want to make, you know, one of our meads, like our leaping off the ledge, which is a dry hop lemon mead. Well, here's the recipe. Yeah. Make it. At home. And, but I do know that that bargain is struck with, we get a few people that find out about us that way for the first time and then want to come and see what we do. And I, and I think that that's a nice 
balance for us. We're not expected to get rich off of it, but we do know that we can get exposure for ourselves. And in this time where I had extra time because I had to ramp my production down because I, I wasn't selling as much product, it was something that I knew I could do because I have the skill set. And it's been exciting to spend some time doing that because I had turned some of these articles down earlier in the year because I expected to be too busy doing it. So hmm. it's everything that we've done in the last three months has been way different than it was before, but it's all to serve that same mission of how do we keep this going for the first eight weeks it was how do we keep it going so we can get a fighting chance to maybe get back what we had. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to look at it a little bit more of, well, we're going to get back some of what we had, but we're going to have to go after something else because we're probably going to see permanent changes from this. And that's sort of the part of it that we're in right now, which is, okay, so how do we explore that? And that's, like I said, we've asked our fans, we're going to have them back in the tap room in a couple of weeks. And we're going to be asking them then too, like, how did this work guys? You know, we're, we're, we're going to offer reservations to our fan club and our bottle club exclusively for the first few weeks. And that's because we want them to tell us, how did this work for you guys? Help us fix this. If it's not right or it needs to be better, let's do this because then we have the best possible experience to offer to anybody who comes and sees us. And that's because our fans helped us figure out, you're the ones sitting in the chairs, you're the ones with mask servers and distancing and all of that. Like, did you feel comfortable? Would you tell other people to come to our place because it was safer than you know it, it otherwise might be? And that's the next phase. We're gonna have to explore that and see where does that take us and what does mm. that mean? Um, and we gotta do it with eyes wide open because I don't know what we're gonna learn. You know, some of this stuff might not work. Some people tell me, well, don't act like that. Don't act like it's not gonna work. I'm like, yeah, these are unprecedented times. Be ready for both. Be ready for success and failure because you're gonna have to react to both of them. Both of them are gonna require us to react to, mm. to them. Success still might require a reaction because you might realize yeah, that's success, but that's a new thing for our business. And it's taking off in a way that's creating stress for me that I wasn't ready for. So it might be super positive. Like I'm selling awesome amounts of product. Great. But it might also be, holy crap, but is that sustainable? Mm. And uh, honestly, as someone looking to build the business myself, like literally part of our business plan is pretty much just written out in stone for me and Rick to keep in mind. Expect the worst, but hope for the best. And we keep that in in there just as a reminder, like when we're down in the trenches, struggling kind of thing, to remember, we expected this to happen. We're hoping that we can just keep pushing through it and figure out how to go about fixing the problems we're having right now. And I think everyone as a business owner kind of has to think that mentality right now. So. Your bests are going to be often unexpected. They're going mm. to be things you expect. Your worst, a lot of them are going to be mundane. They're going to be things that you could have counted on. You, you know, an industry peer will tell you this is what's going to happen. And then you're going to have all, of course, those unexpected ones too. And I tell people, get a good night's sleep. If you're ready the next day for whatever life's going to throw at you, if you've got hours in the day to work, you're going to solve most of your problems. It's it, how hard it is. It's going to depend on what the problem is and and you know, how ready you are to grab onto it and be like, great, thanks for showing up problem, but I'm going to get rid of you real fast. Just watch me, you know? And if you're ready for that, then, you know, you, you, you can't be anything but successful, but that's, that success is always going to be, well, are you successful the way you thought you were? And the answer is almost always no, I'm not because something new came along and I decided I wanted to, to make a change that had I been 
strictly sticking to my business plan, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have told you it was success. I might've even told you it was failure because it was something I didn't account for. And, and again, it's back to that answer that I gave about setting expectations. Mm. That's some expectations too, that like you said, plan, plan for all kinds of different eventualities. Hope some of them never occur, but you also hope that you just have the energy and the presence of mind to deal with the ones that you didn't see. Right. And, and I tell people and I make people laugh, I did not have pandemic on my 2020 scorecard. <laughs> it was not in my planning, but here we are. Right. And I'm still not complaining about our business. Yeah, I might have to spend some of my own cash this month to pay some bills. It would be one month out of four that we've mm -hmm. gone through. And if I have people back in the tap room next week and I've got new accounts and we start growing the club, I might be all right. So I'm not going to complain because I don't have anything to complain about yet. Right. right. But even when I do, hopefully I'll figure it out. Well, what's the next idea that we're going to chase after that we're going to swap out for something else so that I'm not complaining so much as I'm saying, yeah, we had to pivot again. That didn't work. This is going to work better. And, you know, and see what happens. And yeah. if ultimately we can't and we run out of, of runway, that'd be a horrible outcome. Yes, because it's not what we would want. And it would be somewhat spirit crushing, <laughs> you know, in that way. But when you open a business, no matter what it is, you're committing to taking on some risk and you have to assume that if you're staying true to yourself, there's a day of difficult decisions somewhere in your future. Mm -hmm. You have to assume it's going to happen and, and just, just be okay with the fact that when it happens, be ready for the conversation. Yeah. You know, if you're creative enough. You might find yourself a way out of it that you had never imagined. And then you look back going, just like I'm saying about my cancer story, what, what challenge that was and look what we did with it. It's completely different than what we would have expected. Never planned for that. And we're out on the other side of it in a different way. So it's still success. It's just not one that I could have said was what was going to happen right here. You know? Right. Well, uh, Todd, I feel like I've taken up a little bit more time than I was supposed to here. I should probably let you go before right, somebody decides to start getting mad at me. <laughs> so no, it's good conversation. So it's, it's, it's worth it. Now I, I, knowing that you've got a journey you're on as well and i you know want to want to offer up whatever whatever <laughs> advice from my experience i can offer because we sh we surely need it these days anybody who's going through this that has some insight um you know we tell people share it tell tell other people about it because there's going to be people out there that that's the thing they're waiting for they're waiting to hear somebody about an example that they just they don't understand and like oh wow okay yeah we could do that too mm. and it's it's finding the way to find positivity in anything we can find it in right now because as we said to our fans last night nothing to celebrate in that announcement it was mostly rules it was like 11 bullets of rules right I mean, celebrating that i mean I, I it sucked even writing it I'm like i feel like a school teacher right now you will not be able to do this 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 and this while you're in my classroom and it's like this is not the business that i started i want people to come in and party i'm, I'm looking for them to have a good time right 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 yeah no and i, I totally get it yeah so, so it, it's so if, if, if that, you know, if that can help people, like I'm still smiling, I'm still excited about my business. I'm still passionate about it, even though I have to write sucky 11 bullet points full of rules for people. And, but we told them we're going to make it work. It's going to be as awesome as it can be. You're going to have a great time. You know, that was our last bullet point is have fun. This is going to be great. Don't worry about it. Cause after the 11 bullet points above, you might be thinking, boy, I'm not making a reservation at this place. <laughs> it's not the same place I, I went to enjoy before. And, and, and we get that, we get that it's just, no way to spin this situation without mm. lying to ourselves. And I'm not going to lie to anybody about this. It's, it's not, it's not great, but right. make it work. 
Alright, well, I think I should let you go, but I definitely enjoyed the conversation. I definitely am looking forward to Monday when I have that uh, shipment that you sent to me. Uh, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Oh, absolutely. I'll make sure I post it. So, Anthony, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I'll just always, before I end the show, skull to you. <laughs> yes, cheers to you as well. Slancha. It's <laughs> We, uh, a cheers is mine. I, I'm, I come from an English family, so cheers ah. is usually what I do. People are like, well, how come you don't use one of the more like historical mead ones? And I'm like, yeah, cause I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a white guy with an English family. You know, it's, it's cheers is what we always said. So, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You as well. Have a good day.